Welcome to Politicus, the only podcast that discusses politics and public service from the Portuguese American perspective. Here we discuss everything from federal policy, local issues, and U.S. Portugal relations with the goal of driving more discussion and awareness of the issues affecting our nation, our community, and what we as Portuguese Americans can do about it. And now, Politicus. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Politicus. My name is Angela Simoz, and I'm here with my tried and true trusty co-host, Denise Borges, my partner You, you practice this you? one. You practice this no. one because you started three <laughs> adjectives with a T. Uh, but anyway, it is my pleasure to be here with the amazing, awesome, and almighty Angela Costa Simões, immediate past chair of Palcus. And of course, we've been doing these now, Angela, for what I think about five, six years now. It's been a while and we did take a break, but we're we're back now and it's good to be back because we get to interview some pretty amazing people like our next guest, Jake Oliveira. Jake, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm looking forward to the conversation. So for our listeners who don't know Jake, uh, Jake is a state senator in Massachusetts serving the western part of the state, if I'm not mistaken. And we had not met Jake before. We, I think you were just elected to the state Senate in January. Is that correct? I was elected in November, took office in oh, November, January, January, but I yeah. did one term in the Massachusetts House before making the jump to the Senate last year. Right. And then you were also on the school board, which there you call the school committee. And there has been a few other things. So anyway, we always love meeting new Portuguese Americans who are in office and hearing about their story and then also hearing about what you're working on and you know how you feel that you can help the community as a Portuguese American elected official because you know we do this podcast as a way to raise awareness about elected officials who are of Portuguese heritage and how they're helping the community and and then just talking about things in the political realm from a Portuguese perspective. So why don't we start by having you tell our listeners about yourself, how you started on your path, what interested you in what got you interested in running for office, that sort of thing. And then we'll talk about your work ahead and what you're planning. Great. Well, thank you so much for the opportunity just to introduce myself. My name is Jake Oliveira. I'm a state senator, as you mentioned, Angela, representing the western part of Massachusetts and actually the first Portuguese American in the legislature to be elected from western Massachusetts. Many of the Portuguese Americans, which we have a strong and vibrant Portuguese American community in Massachusetts, are centered in the Fall River, New Bedford, Cambridge, eastern section of Massachusetts. But But if you notice, my accent isn't very similar to the eastern part of the state. It kind of ends <laughs> when you cross over past Worcester in the middle of the state. Our accents change a little bit. So I do say my R's, so I apologize <laughs> if I don't drop my R's on this call. Um, but it so is disappointing, the... <laughs> Jake. So disappointing. No. <laughs> We are Rorick in our section of Western New England, which is, which is kind of interesting. But I come from a beautiful community called Ludlow, Massachusetts, where I... Uh, my family's been for four generations now. I'm a fourth generation Ludlow uh, native and both my parents, uh, my dad's side of the family is of Portuguese descent and my mom's side is actually of Polish descent. So I think that makes me a portapole or something different combination, but both communities, the Portuguese American community and the Polish American community are very strong in my hometown of Ludlow. And I actually have the distinction, even though I serve one term 
in the Massachusetts House, I have the distinction of being the first senator to represent the town of Ludlow, to actually live in the town of Ludlow, to represent it on Beacon Hill, dating back to the 1700s when uh, the Massachusetts legislature started up and operates under the oldest working constitution in the entire world. And so we're pretty proud of that in Massachusetts. But uh, my family actually immigrated from mainland Portugal in around 1915 on my grandmother's side, and they settled right here in Ludlow. My great-grandfather worked in the mills, and many of the Portuguese-American communities members came to the United States to work in blue-collar jobs and factories that dotted the Pioneer Valley, my section of Massachusetts. And my family uh, came and settled in Ludlow, lived and bought a house in uh, old mill housing, which we had up until about 20 years ago. But my family is very proud of our, our Portuguese history. And my grandmother's side of the family, my grandmother, who is 97 years young right now and has a sister who is 101 living on the West Coast, were two of nine children in that family that came. The first two children were actually born in Portugal. And the community that they came from was actually called Berasal, near the Guarda section of Portugal. So in the interior, not necessarily near the coast. So our cuisine is a little bit different than those that are on the coastal side of Portugal. But my family settled here. They had their first two children in Portugal, two boys, and then had seven children straight, another boy here, and then six girls right in a row and grew up right down the street from actually where I live here in Ludlow. And it is a vibrant Portuguese-American community. We have a Portuguese club, uh, the Gremio Lusitano Club, that actually celebrated its 100th anniversary last year. And I was proud to welcome the Council General of Portugal for the New England area to Ludlow to be part of that celebration. And we have a very strong connection with the Portuguese consulate and the Portuguese ambassador to the United States. I'm also privileged in the Massachusetts legislature to be part of the Portuguese American caucus. And we actually this year doubled our numbers in the Massachusetts Senate, myself and Liz Miranda joining. It went from a caucus of two on the Senate side to a caucus of four out of 40 members of Portuguese descent. And we have about half a dozen Portuguese American House members on the House side. We actually were able to travel to Portugal last year in the springtime and meet with the Portuguese president and the new U.S. ambassador. So that strong connection between Massachusetts and Portugal is very, much alive and well, due in part to the strong representation in the legislature from Portuguese Americans. So um, yeah, as you mentioned before, Angela, I served 12 years on my local school committee, which is our version of school boards. I did four years before that as a representative town meeting member, which was actually an elective position. So I did 16 years in local government before joining the legislature a little over two years ago for my first term or for my term in the House side and now as a member of the Massachusetts Senate. I got elected to my first elective office at the ripe old age of 18 years old and uh, served for four years as a Reptown meeting member as I was earning my bachelor's degree in political science from uh, my alma mater, Framingham State University, a wonderful state university that actually was the was one of the founding schools of the normal schools, which were designed to educate teachers, which started all over the country 
country and all over the world afterwards, including the Cal State system in California. They all derive from the Massachusetts State University normal schools that were started in 1838 and 1839 by actually a former member of the Massachusetts Senate and a former Massachusetts Senate president named Horace Mann, and kind of the founder of public education uh, and public higher education in the United States. So I'm proud of my degree from Framingham State. That's part of that long history. After college, I, I came back home, ran for the school board where I served for 12 years. And at the same time, since it's not a full-time job, I worked in the legislature for a brief stint for a another Portuguese American legislature, Mike Rodericks from the Fall River area of Massachusetts, and then worked for 12 years for our Massachusetts State University system, including my alma mater, Framingham State, doing government relations for them for over a decade and really uh, building the relationships on Beacon Hill that I'm now utilizing as a, as a member of the Massachusetts legislature. But, you know, I focused most of my legislation on fighting for public education, whether it's early childhood education, pre-K through 12 education or public higher education. We are leaders here in Massachusetts and all those fronts and want to continue to lead and have the top performing students in the entire world, but also strengthening our economy. Those Ludlow Mills that my great grandparents worked at that are just down the road, new life is being breathed into them by the state and by private partners. They're being redeveloped into housing, retail space. There's a brewery in them right now. So it's so exciting to secure funding from the state to help revitalize what brought my ancestors from Portugal and Poland here to the United States. So it's kind of come full circle for me. My gosh, Jake. Okay. First, I don't know where to begin because you hit so many things that I, I think like if we were in person, we would have to have this discussion over a glass of wine or something. Cause there are some, you're like, Oh my gosh, what, that's so good. I don't know. <laughs> because first I think you and I are cousins because my family is from Guadva as well. Really? So we'll have to, yes, we'll have to wow. have that conversation another time. We all know and love Michael Rodericks. So great connection there. He has been great for the community and we love Mike. And the, one of the first things that you said that was interesting was that you are the first Portuguese American elected to the state Senate from the Western part of the state. And I think it's one of those assumptions that people make, at least maybe those living outside of Massachusetts, that while there are Portuguese in every corner of the state, practically, that, you know, it would just be a natural conclusion that there would be Portuguese representing every part of the state in, in local government. And that's not always the case. And so I, I don't know if we want to dig into that, but I just thought I would point that out because we've also talked in the past about how, you know, California, which is a much bigger state, but we don't have the concentrations in certain areas the way that you guys do that we have more Portuguese Americans in at the U.S. federal level, right, and in Congress, whereas the eastern states have struggled to do that. Yes. Um, and I know Denise well, we're has proud, some on We're that. proud here in Massachusetts to have the first Portuguese American woman elected yes. to the U.S. Congress, Lori Trahan, who's from the Lowell area. And Congresswoman Trahan is very proud of her Portuguese heritage. And it's so wonderful that we have the first Portuguese American woman member of the U.S. Congress uh, right from our home state. We love so that. Yes, that, that would be the actually the question that I'd like to post to you, Jake, is, is on picking back on what Angela said. So there's been a tradition in certain parts of Massachusetts and not other parts of Massachusetts. And we have the same correlation in California. Central Valley is the area where we have right now four Portuguese Amer or three of the four Portuguese Americans in Congress from California. Do 
Uh, is there, uh, from from your experience in the Portuguese American community, from your work with uh, Senator Rodrigo's office, and uh, and uh, you work also with the, with the educational system, is there a major reason? Is this because of the large concentration in the Fall River, New Bedford, and around some of the Boston areas that has had that tradition for many years, and now it's going to other areas? Or what do you attribute that to? Well, I think it's partly due to the concentration, but also we have very long standing members of Congress that put in many terms and it's actually benefited us so well here in New England. You know, my congressman is the chairperson of the was the chairperson until the Republicans took over the Ways and Means Committee. My neighboring congressman, Congressman McGovern, was the chairperson of the Rules Committee. We have Congresswoman uh, Catherine Clark, who's now the minority whip of the U.S. House of Representatives. So we have long serving House members. And sometimes it takes a couple generations for different communities to get representation. You know, having Congresswoman Trahan serve as a member of Congress, she's not from the more traditional Portuguese American area. She's from the Merrimack Valley near Lowell, which is another industrial, post-industrial uh, city from the textile mills. So I think, you know, especially at the legislative and local level, so in state politics and in local politics, we've seen a lot of Portuguese Americans. I mean, look Looking back at Massachusetts history, I was reading a book about Tip O'Neill, and he was talking about his time in the Massachusetts House of Representatives in the 1930s and served with an Oliveira from Fall River. So there has been significant representation at the local and state level in politics here in Massachusetts, but not necessarily yet at the federal level. But we're so pleased now that we have representation in Congresswoman Trahan. But it's also that concentration you look at. So if you go to the West part of the state, you know, you leave uh, my hometown of Ludlow, and there really aren't a lot of Portuguese American communities aside from you know, Ludlow and Chicopee and Springfield and Belchertown and Palmer, which I represent. But once you get beyond that, there's kind of less representation in some of the larger cities where, you know, a lot of the federal politicians come from, whether it's the city of Boston, whether it's in Worcester, whether it's in Springfield. So not having that concentration in those major cities probably is a factor in why that there haven't been more Portuguese Americans elected from Massachusetts at the federal level. But we are so strong in the Massachusetts legislature. You know, Senator Rodericks is chair of the Ways and Means Committee, which is one of the most powerful committees that writes the budget each and every year. So we do have a very, very strong cadre of uh, Portuguese Americans within our legislature and in the local level representing us either in mayors or city councils or select boards that we have here in New England. So as a case study and, and kind of an off-the-wall case study, but uh, an ad hoc one here as we uh, have this conversation, if you look at your area in Western Massachusetts, because there isn't that heavy concentration of New Bedford, you know, Fall River, and some of the surrounding areas, that is basically what has happened, has happened uh, as Angela mentioned, in California, where we are spread out and we're much larger states geographically. And that's happening all over the U.S. More and more Portuguese-Americans, such as your case, you know, fourth generation. There are more and more Portuguese Americans of third and fourth generation, and even of second generation, because uh, the last wave of immigration that occurred in the 1960s, now, you know, folks who are beginning their careers are either their sons or daughters or grandsons or granddaughters of that generation as well. And we haven't had much immigration, including to Massachusetts in the last 20 years or so. So the my, my question to you would be, 
what California has done, or Portuguese Americans that have run for office in California at many levels, state level, even local level, because we don't have that large concentration, is we have to make coalitions, of course. We have to be, well, all politicians have to be inclusive of everyone, regardless of their ethnicity. But um, in the Portuguese American situation in California, there's been a lot of coalitions, and and especially when it comes to the federal, but even at the state level. Uh, uh, our assembly person that's Portuguese background, Cecilia Gyarcuri, could not get elected without the Hispanic community. And she she knows that because the Portuguese in her district only represent about three and a half percent. So my question to you is, as we move forward with the community and less immigration, because immigration from Portugal has ceased, as we all know, Portugal is a different country than it was, you know, 100 years ago and even 50 years ago. Do you think, and in your case, did you, of course, have to go outside of the traditional Portuguese community that maybe some people in New Bedford and Fall River don't have to go that much. I mean, they they do, but not as much as you in an area that is, isn't as heavy populated as the Portuguese American community. So how do you look at this from a political representation? And how do you look at this from areas and maybe words to those who are in Portuguese American areas that are not very heavily populated Portuguese Americans and new communities that are popping up in in, in Texas and in, in Arizona and in Idaho, amongst other states, how important are these coalitions and how do you go about it? Oh, coalitions are so important. The best advice that someone gave to me is they said, politics is a game of addition, not subtraction. So you're always trying to build coalitions. And, you know, being a half Portuguese American, but also half Polish American, which is a sizable community here in in Western Massachusetts as well, is certainly a benefit to have that. And you're you're seeing, you know, second, third and fourth and generation uh, Portuguese Americans having, you know, half Italian ancestry or half Irish ancestry. And so that kind of builds in a little bit of a coalition as you get further down the line. But even in my life, legislative district right now, Portuguese American community is not the largest ethnicity group in in my district right now, but it's about building those coalitions. And, you know, ethnic politics are, even in in industrial areas where ethnic politics were were always at the forefront, you know, you, you read about New England, and it was always the push and the pull between the Catholics and the old Boston Brahmins for much of the early 20th century. And, you know, the Catholic community tended to be trend much more democratic. Protestant, the older Protestant community tended to be much more Republican and Brahmin at the time. You know, there was always that push and pull. So there was always that coalition that you would build with Italian Americans, Irish Americans, French Canadian Americans within those Catholic communities in order to build coalitions. That's less so as we get into the 21st century. And it's more about uh, the issues at hand and, and raising issues that people care about, whether it's, you know, making sure that people have access to quality education, access to affordable health care, making sure that we grow our economy here in Western Massachusetts and throughout the country is something that people that are involved with politics talk about quite a bit. And so it's also about building a farm team. And that's also a big thing. So, you know, looking at local government, that's a great farm team for the state legislature, but that's also a farm team for the U.S. Congress as well. So I think the more that we get people involved locally and proud of their Portuguese American heritage, 
heritage and proud to display that, the better it is for, you know, the future of politics in, in our country and that Portuguese relationship. But, you know, before I got elected to the legislature, I really didn't know how tight-knit the Portuguese-American caucus was in the Massachusetts House and Senate until I actually got there. So I think even advertising that there was a strong Portuguese-American caucus within the legislature is something that could build, you know, more Portuguese-Americans uh, stepping up from the local level to the state level and getting involved in and getting involved in, in the legislature and state government. So I think there's some built-in things that can help grow the Portuguese-American community in every level of government. To follow up on that a little bit, identity politics in your perspective is still uh, part of the game, first, is the first part of that question. Second part, the Polish-American community can be very, very, there's, I'm sure you can talk a little bit about that because I think it's important. There can be some parallels to the Portuguese-American community in many aspects. And one of them is that there isn't, at one time, there were lots of Polish schools or lots of, or Polish was taught in a lot of public schools throughout the United States. People think it was only in Chicago, but it wasn't. It was all over. And so and so we have the same issue. You know, at one time, there probably was more Portuguese uh, taught than there is today, uh, especially at the public, at the, at the private level. What are, first of all, so the question, identity politics, they still play, you know, a role, uh, even in Massachusetts, and, uh, and, your, and your thoughts about, you know, as a student of politics from, from a national perspective as well. And second of all, these communities that are European-based, um, Polish, Portuguese, Italian, etc., these communities that are, are, we don't have, and Angela has spoken about this, we don't have a specific issue, and yet we have issues. Do you think that our issues are pretty much like the Polish-American community? They're more American issues than they might be Portuguese issues or more American issues than they might be Polish or Portuguese because of the aspect that our communities have been here such a long time. Yes, they're newer immigrants than maybe the Polish community had, but we have been here also for over 100 years, as you pointed out, with the organization in your area. So that's my two-part question. Identity politics, how, how back and are our issues really all the same? You know, I mean, I know that the Hispanic community immigration is a big issue for them, especially the immigration issues that we're living at, at the national forefront. But do we all have about the same issues? Everybody just wants, you know, healthcare and, you know, education and clean water. Well, I first on the question of identity politics, I think it's less so than of, you know, a hundred years ago, if you look at kind of that push and pull, as I mentioned before, between the, the Brahmin Protestant communities and the Catholic communities that were coming in from Europe at that point in time, it's less so, but it still exists. You know, it's about building those coalitions. I have within my legislative district, a sizable Puerto Rican community as well, that, you know, after the kind of the white population of my district, it's in Definitely the Hispanic population is the second largest group that's in there. And we do find some parallels. My uh, my Puerto Rican colleagues uh, from Springfield, actually, I was at an S to my last name, Oliveras, and turned me into an honorary uh, Puerto Rican, which I always enjoy at, at the various different festivals that we have. So I'd say that identity politics is playing less of a role, but there's also a growing Portuguese-speaking community that isn't necessarily of direct Portuguese descent. We have a growing Brazilian-American 
community that's growing in Massachusetts. And we actually have uh, several Brazilian American legislators that got elected this past November, which is really exciting. The areas around Framingham and areas around Milford, Massachusetts, which had strong Portuguese American communities for a significant amount of time and Portuguese clubs, they're growing with their Brazilian population right now. And so the Portuguese language itself is continuing to be strong and vibrant and actually grow as a percentage of what's spoken here in Massachusetts. And that's reflected also in our public schools. So here in Ludlow, where I sat on the school board for 12 years, we still have a vibrant Portuguese uh, language program. And if you go right up the road to the University of Massachusetts at Amherst, which is our flagship university, um, they have one of the largest Portuguese programs in the United States. Um, and we actually have partnered very well with them in the public schools to kind of grow that program and build in that pipeline. And then my good friends, having you know gone to Framingham State, they moved back. Their children are in the public schools in Framingham right now and actually are learning Portuguese because many of their classmates speak Portuguese. And so, you know, that is kind of growing when it, when you look at kind of those those communities that are outside of those traditional Portuguese American linguistic communities. But we also have a strong Cape Verdean population that's growing here in, in Massachusetts and New England as well. And so the Portuguese language continues to thrive and build up. When you're looking at issues, I think, you know, the issues that face folks, I think are very similar right now. You know, I look at my district and, and you know, it is about those things that kind of cuts across every ethnic group that's out there. It's about making sure that you have access to high quality education, that you have access to high quality health care at an affordable rate, making sure that we invest in our in our communities to ensure that they're vibrant. But uh, you have to remember that a lot of communities outside of Boston, particularly in the western part of the state, and haven't shared in the economic growth of places like Kendall Square and Cambridge, where the biotech community has been growing. We still have a manufacturing base here in western Massachusetts, and we have our other kind of resource, which is our, our intellectual capital. We have many colleges and universities that are that are here in this part of the state. So investments in education systems only grows to help out uh, the economy of our region. So I think a lot of those, um, when you look at either immigration issues, you know, a lot of times, you know, it's not just the Hispanic community that is interested in it. It's also the Portuguese speaking community with uh, the growing Brazilian population right now. So I think those issues are definitely front and center in many of our, our gateway cities and smaller cities that are outside of Boston. Yeah, I think, you know, Denise talked about coalitions and a very natural coalition would be for us to embrace the other Portuguese speaking communities. As you mentioned, Brazilian, Cape Verdean. Here in California, we have a small Macaans community. So, and we we do have strong ties with them, but that's a, also a very natural extension or, or you know, we, we should be embracing those communities as well. So I know we're, we're coming up on our time, but I do have a couple last questions. Often we are out there beating the drum about why we need more Portuguese Americans in office and representing our community. And some people say, well, why? why, why, What can I do as a Portuguese American elected in office specifically for our community? And I think that speaks to the fact that we, so many of our issues are the same as other, other groups uh, or just generally uh, the issues of general Americans. But from your perspective, and and being connected with the community as a Portuguese American elected official, how are you feeling that you can help the community specifically? Are there any areas that that you touch on that that that's your message to the Portuguese community? This is how I can help you. 
Well, I think there are a couple of issues that I never really realized until I started serving as a member of the Massachusetts House is that we have built strong connections with the Consul General in Boston and mm -hmm. the Portuguese ambassador as well. And we constantly, I constantly get requests from Portuguese Americans living in, in my communities that I represent, the 12 communities, the Hamden, Hampshire, and Worcester district that are looking for dual citizenship or looking to strengthen those relations with, with Portugal. And I think if I wasn't a Portuguese American, I probably wouldn't, they wouldn't feel as comfortable coming to me and asking for help with, you know, a dual citizenship or visa issue that a family member might have or language barriers that people are facing right now. So it builds in for me an easy conduit to pick up the phone and call the consul general or shoot him a text and say, you know, I'm having a constituent that's facing an issue. They're, they're a Portuguese American and they're looking to apply for dual citizenship. So I think just by, by nature of having a Portuguese last name and being of Portuguese descent, Portuguese Americans within my district feel comfortable asking me for some of these issues that might might be seen as more international relations than even, you know, local issues or state issues at the state level. But I can certainly help with them because I built those relationships with those communities. And I think if you ask any of the Portuguese Americans that serve as members of the Massachusetts House or Senate and represent sizable Portuguese American communities, they'll tell you that they get calls from their constituents about some of those issues that deal with immigration, visas, and dual citizenship quite often. So I think that's a benefit being a Portuguese American folks feel comfortable because they know that I have a relationship with the council general and with the um, with the ambassador from Portugal that can help with some of these some of these issues at that level. Well, there's also a lot of programs for young people that are offered through whether it's the government of Portugal, the government of the Azores, agencies such as FLAD, whether it's study abroad or research grants or things like that. So it's good for you to know about those kinds of things as well so that your constituents can take advantage of those kinds of things too. So that's another area, but it's a great point that you raise about having that more direct tie on the international international relations side. Yeah. Um, and FLAT has been wonderful to work with as well. You know, when I got elected to the House two years ago, one of the first, the folks that reached out, uh, Miguel Vaz from FLAD reached out right away. And I was proud to go on the FLAD uh, trip to Portugal last spring. I'm looking forward to mm -hmm. doing it this year and strengthening those relationships because for our economy in New England is very much tied to Portugal as well. You know, we were increasing flights, direct flights from Logan Airport out of Boston to Lisbon on a more regular basis. It's a very short flight. In fact, I always make the joke that, you know, it's like a half an hour longer for me to go to Portugal across the Atlantic than it is to go and visit my aunt in San Diego on the West Coast. Mm -hmm. So our proximity is also something that is, you know, a benefit for our economy here in, in, in Massachusetts. But also people are interested in traveling to Portugal because it's such a wonderful tourist destination. You know, it's a mm -hmm. very easy flight from Boston it's very affordable. It's very, you know, welcoming and accepting to visitors from other countries. So it is something that is definitely growing as a top destination for people that live in New England in general. Yes, you're all very lucky to live so close to the to the motherland. <laughs> for us in California, it's a little, a little bit longer. more of a trek. Yeah. And, you know, and who doesn't know Miguel, right? Everybody loves Miguel, right? Um, <laughs> last question is, uh, I didn't know if there was anything 
I know you touched on education and that's a very strong focus for you, but is there, you know, as a newly elected official at the state level, is there, what are your plans? Do you have any, any big plans that, that we should know about as, you know, a national organization or that you want your constituents to know about something that's important or that you think other, other areas should take notice of anything you've been working on? Well, I think we've learned a lot from other states. Um, You know, we just finished bill filing deadlines. So right at the beginning of each legislative session, which is two years long, you have a very short window of time to file your bills before the deadline, which was last Friday. And I was proud to file 57 bills for for this legislative cycle. Many focused in on education, many focused in on economic development, but also one that was interesting and kind of new in Massachusetts is something that we've learned from the West Coast. And I'm actually working with advocates in the tiny home space right now, which is a growing trend throughout the country as a much more affordable option, a much greener option for people to live. And given our high rates of housing costs, similar to what you're facing on the West Coast right now, housing insecurity continues to be something that is very, very front and center for every elected official in Massachusetts, including our new Governor Mara Healy and Lieutenant Governor Kim Driscoll. So, you know, tiny home movement is will not solve all of our housing issues, but I'm proud to say that I've filed a bill that's modeled after what you've done in California and several other states on the West Coast that can actually grow that as another tool in our toolbox to help solve our our housing shortage and crisis here and affordability crisis, but also do it in an economic and a environmentally conscious way. You know, we are, we have set in Massachusetts some very ambitious climate goals to get to net zero by 2050 similar to what California has done as well. And so working in those spaces to make sure that we green our economy, but also reduce our carbon footprint at the same time and relying less on fossil fuels is something that we are taking a leadership on. And I'm looking forward to voting on legislation to build upon uh, the legislation I voted on last session, which is growing offshore wind, which is growing hydroelectric, which is growing other areas of, of, of electricity and energy production that are out outside of fossil fuels. That's a major priority of mine. Yeah, yeah, that's a whole other podcast discussion about making sure that your grid is can handle that, right? Uh, I, I know that we have our goals here in California, but there's a lot of doubt as to whether or not we'll be able to achieve that. Yeah. And I think for us here in Massachusetts, the other thing is, is that, you know, we're the tailpipe of the United States. Springfield, which is a the third largest city in Massachusetts, which I in part represent, was ranked for over a decade as the asthma capital of the United States. So ensuring that we continue to green our economy and rely less on fossil fuels that is contributing to climate change and also the health issues that communities like Springfield are facing in the entire area. My area of Massachusetts right here is basically acts as a fishbowl. We're in a valley. And so all the carcinogens that are in the air that are being pumped out through the jet stream kind of get locked in the Pioneer Valley here and has caused a lot of rates of childhood asthma and adult asthma and health problems. So greening our economy isn't just something that is you know good for our world. It's very personal for my region as well. I think that's one of our issues, of course, with uh, with Politicus is to discuss, you know, as Angela said in the, in the intro, politics from a Portuguese-American perspective. So let's look at this. Let's do some politics from a Portuguese-American perspective or any perspective, which is 
California, Massachusetts are two very heavily democratic states. That can be a plus in one aspect. That can be a minus in another aspect. Our issues here sometimes is the infighting within the Democratic Party. It's not, the, uh, you know, because uh, both of our states, legislature and the uh, state senate have a, as you know, a supermajority. And so how are those issues in 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 Massachusetts, is it about the same as California? Is it pretty much a supermajority? And uh, of course, you just until recently had the issue had had a, a very hev- heavily Democratic House and Senate, but you had a Republican governor, which that hasn't happened in California in a while. How do you see those 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 from a from a student of political science, not just a, a member of one political party? How do you see that as a student of political science? These uh, supermajorities, first of all. And how do you see this change? And I know we have a very limited time, but how do you see this change to where it has happened in American politics, where the famous Will Rogers saying, I don't belong to a, a political party, I'm a Democrat. How do you see these changes now where there's that the other kind, that other not do not belong to a political party, I belong to X, Y, or Z, is now basically happening in the Republican? Is it all cyclical? Well, I I see it, you know, I'm proud to say that the Portuguese American caucus in the legislature is bipartisan. We have Republican members of the caucus as well. And unlike the fighting that goes on in Washington, D.C. between Republicans and Democrats, we work very closely with our Republican colleagues here in the Massachusetts legislature. The numbers are are very small on the Republican side out of our 160 member House of Representatives. There's um, just over two dozen Republicans. So I think there's 25, 26 Republicans. And in the Massachusetts Senate out of 40, there are three Republicans. So we kind of we have one of the most heavily You've partisan, beaten California by a even bit, yeah. <laughs> even more than California. I think Hawaii might be the only other state yeah. that might have less Republicans than we do in our branches of government. But we work very closely. You know, my district has a as a representative who is the Republican ranking member on the Ways and Means Committee in the Massachusetts House. And we work so closely together on so many issues. A lot of the issues at the state level don't have that the nasty tone that the politics politics of the national level have. We actually see, you know, state government here in Massachusetts as kind of a bright spot. We're seeing that ugliness that that's reared its head in in Washington DC kind of bubbling up at the local level, but we have yet to see that really at the state level right now. We work very closely in a bipartisan manner on many bills that we work on most of the my, my bills that I filed have Republican co-sponsors on those bills, but we also have a different Republican party I'd say here in Massachusetts. It's more moderate, you know, yeah. Governor Charlie Baker, who just left the office um, this past January. Uh, we've partnered on many issues. Do we have disagreements? Yes, but we work beyond them and we don't let our political parties get in the way of, you know, working for the people that we represent. Indeed. And I'm going to turn over to Angela to end it, but uh, indeed, it's it's different. I mean, the uh, Mitt Romney's uh, health care plan worked with you, with your state uh, assembly and Senate is was a model for the Obamacare that was vilified by some some people. So it's just uh, it's uh, it's different regions of the country. And with that, Angela. Yes, well, I actually <laughs> this is probably one of our longest podcasts. Uh, just one more softball question for you, Jake. Um, sure. You entered political office as you said, at the ripe old age of 18, uh, whereas a lot of 18-year-olds that I know have no idea what they want to do with their lives. So what would be some advice that you could give some young Portuguese Americans out there who maybe are political science majors in college or 
you know, maybe they just see what's happening in their community and they want to get involved somehow. What would be your advice to them on um, how to move forward and what would be a good next step? Well, I'd say first off that the one of my favorite speeches that I heard was actually Barack Obama's uh, closing address as president in Chicago. And he's made the point that the most important role in government is not that of president or governor or U.S. senator or congressperson or a member of the state legislature or local government. Most important role in our government is the role of citizen. And taking that role as citizen very and take that responsibility by contributing, by voting, number one, and participating in every election, whether it's the local, state, or every four years on the presidential level, voting is essential. Make sure you vote, young people, because your voice is going to be heard when you exercise your constitutional right at the ballot box. The other thing is get involved with a political campaign. It doesn't have to be a presidential campaign. It doesn't have to be, you know, for a federal office, it can be as as small as uh, helping out somebody that's running for the school board or getting a sheet of paper and going around and collect signatures. Don't be afraid to go out there and talk to your neighbors about the issues that you care about. That's the best way to get involved. And depending on if you're in a political party or you're not in a political party, volunteer on a campaign. It's a great way to learn about the political process. It's a great way to engage with voters. You know, I knocked on over 20,000 doors in my campaign last year to run for the state Senate. Politics, even at the state level and at the federal level in presidential politics, is all broken down to be local and having that interaction, that conversation with folks. So I'd suggest get involved with the campaign, but number one, make sure you go out there and vote. And um, I couldn't think of a better piece of advice or, or a note to end on. Voting. Yes, absolutely. Because I always say, if you don't vote, then you can't complain, right? So voting is very, very important. All right. Well, that wraps it up. Thank you so much, Jake. This has been, I think, really one of our more interesting and varied by topic podcasts. So I really appreciate your time and your input. Thank you, Denise, as always. Uh, Thank you. And I, and I wish that uh, people would be able to see because I'm looking at Jake's background and he has some <laughs> real good books that I would like to recommend to people. <laughs> Tip O'Neill's and the Soul of America. Uh, and he has placed there strategically a book about Portugal. That's what you call a good, very good, nice. good. Yeah, very, very nice. Indeed. I actually love looking at that book every now and then because it makes me nostalgic of visiting <laughs> Portugal again. So I hope to get there soon. But it's been a pleasure speaking to you both. Anytime that you want to delve into a topic, as you can tell, I can pretty much talk about just about anything and every question (laughs) that you ask on there, I won't shy away from. I appreciate that. And yeah, thank you to our listeners who joined us for another episode. We hope that you found this uh, inspiring and encouraging or interesting enough to share with friends and family. And it's important to share these conversations so that more Portuguese Americans can be aware of all of the wonderful people we have in office representing our community. Please subscribe to the Palkus podcast channel if you haven't on SoundCloud or iTunes or Spotify. And if you have a few minutes, please leave us a review on iTunes. That way more people will find us as well. And it just makes our podcast better and better. If you would like to be a guest on the podcast, please send us an email at palkus at palkus.org. And with that, until next time, everybody, thank you so much. Obrigado. Thank you. Thank you. Obrigado. Thank you for listening to Politicus, the official podcast of Palcus, the Portuguese American Leadership Council of the United States. Palcus is the premier national organization representing the interests of the Portuguese American community at large. 
To learn more about Palkus and how to become a member or to make a donation, visit www.palkus.org. To submit feedback or suggestions about the podcast, email us at palkus at palkus.org. The views and opinions expressed by the hosts and guests of the show are not endorsed by Palkus.